And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam McGinnis. What is up, doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel Roll Show. We discuss a team that is up three games to two in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is April 27th. 2017. Hold up real quick. Ready? Deep breath. Exhale. That is exactly how I felt last night in the phone booth after your Washington Wizards outlasted the Atlanta Hawks 103-99. to It was a victorious because all victories feel good, but so much relief. Thank goodness that they got that victory. With me today is a man that covered his first NBA postseason playoff game for Truth About It as a Wizards blogger, my main man, Troy Halliburton. Troy, what is up, bro? How are you? Adam, man, I'm living the life, just like you said, man. Got my got my first uh, playoff game under my belt. Man, that, it was uh, amazing. Did you have that feeling after it was over? It was such a weird scenario we'll get into at the end of the game. Like, there was joy we won, but it was just like this anxiety, like... Exhale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a little bit of an exhale. I felt like the Wizards outplayed uh, the Hawks for you know the majority of the game, and for it to still you know come down to the last few possessions was you know kind of mind boggling. Yeah, I, I didn't mention Troy. Let me give me accolades. Is that you know what a nice guy this Adam McGinnis is that allows you to cover Game Five, so he can go just watch it as a fan and be nervous in the stadium. There's probably a lot of girls out there, uh, some other former co-workers who probably doesn't believe that Adam is such a nice guy like this. But, yeah, Troy, I did you solid, right? The nicest, you did me the biggest solid of all solids. Like, I owe you big time, man. Definitely. Definitely. Tell, Thank tell, you again, man. Tell, tell the people. It's my podcast. You know, my back scratched a little bit. All right. So, yeah. yeah so, for the the full story, uh, you, you jumped on the uh, coverage of Game 5 and... You know, I, I was out with Kyle uh, Weida, um, you know, the founder and editor of the site. And he's like, yeah, Adam, Adam's going to be old, old friend of the pod, old friend, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, he said Adam's going to be covering the game. And I was like, you know what? I, I figured I, I might as well get in and ask you because if, if, if somehow if shit would have gone bad and the Wizards would have lost – I mean, I might not have ever gotten a chance to to, to cover a, a home playoff game. That's true. So I asked you, and you were gracious enough to, you know, with, without question, you know, uh, go ahead and give up the spot. You'll be back in there for a game one of the next series. There is no, there's not going to be a game seven. I'm predicting that right now. So. Game one against the Bulls or game three against the Celtics. Uh, I will be back. There will not be a Sunday game, and also foreshadowing, we'll get into that as well. But yes, we're, we're now over with stroking my ego section of this podcast. But Troy, I haven't talked to you about these this playoff series. Before we get into this game specifically, what has been your thoughts here about this battle between the Hawks and the Wizards, your expectations going in, and how this whole thing has unfolded for the first five games here? Well, honestly, I felt like the, the Wizards would have put up a better performance against the Hawks. I feel like... 
you know, the the talent disparity is, you know, it, it's a pretty large gap in the favor of the Wizards right now. They should have probably closed the series out in five games. But I think that some of the problems that the Wizards have had throughout this season are kind of rearing uh, its ugly head. And that's the fact that this team doesn't really have as much depth as, you know, a contending team really should have. What has happened is the, the Wizards starters are coming in, you know, they're playing their asses off. You know, they have great numbers, great plus-minus numbers as a five-man unit. And then as soon as, you know, the bench players come into the game, all hell seems to break loose. So, you know, I've been kind of disappointed with the Wizards' performance, especially in games three and four in Atlanta, where, you know, game three, you know, they they were never really in the game. And then game four, I felt like, you know, they kind of wasted a, a grand opportunity. The second, the second quarter, me and Rashad went off on a whole tangent in the last podcast. It felt like the game was lost there, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean but the thing is, they, they were able to come back, and the game was tied going into the fourth quarter of that game. And, you know, they kind of got the the doors blown off of them, you know, in, in the fourth quarter. So I, I've been disappointed with the, with the Wizards' performance in this series. I, I expected a little bit more, you know, especially since this team, you know, came into the postseason talking about how they want to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, they, they haven't looked like a team that's worthy of such accolades. Exactly. Well, Troy, the other thing I would say is that the scoreboard still counts. There are no moral victories in, in sports, and the Wizards are up 3-2. to two, And this was a huge game here in Game 5, probably one of the biggest games that the Wizards have had in a long, long time, even though it was a 6 o'clock start because they hate the Atlanta Hawks on TV and they hate the Wizards. Uh, a late-arriving crowd. Let's let's also say that the NBA kind of fucked them by having this game start at 6 p.m. On a Wednesday weekday. On, on, on a Wednesday weekday in D.C., which is one of the worst cities. And it was really nice out, too. It was like 70 degrees. Exactly. I mean, D.C. is known for, you know, being one of the worst rush hour traffic cities in America. Like, it, it was virtually logistically impossible for, you know, the, the, the stands to be packed at 6 p.m. I ended up sitting in several different sections during the game. And eventually in the second half, it was pretty packed, especially down low. At, at the first quarter, nah, not at all. But then again, it's 6.30, right? I mean, here's the thing, too, is that there was complaints about how it looked in game one and two empty at the beginning, but then it turns out the security lines are awful. So it was like almost like a cap. I went to a Caps game this year. We, we showed up at like 7.05 and we missed like the first 10 minutes because we were in the security line for so long. People were even commenting about game one and game two of the series about how the lines were long outside and it almost reminded them of a Caps playoff game. And I'm trying not to talk about the Caps who just lost to the Penguins because I'm about to go off on the refs here in a little bit. So maybe I'll save that rant of what I just saw tonight of the Caps uh, losing the first game to the Penguins in their series. But what they say is like, so game three comes and earlier fans were really good in game one and two. I mean, it was so loud. And I always felt like, like, what was your opinion of the fans uh, last night? I felt like they weren't as maybe boisterous in the fourth quarter as they were in Game 2, but some of that was the Wizards really weren't making as many shots as they did. In Game 1, at the end of the third quarter, they went on a huge run. John Wall was flexing all over, doing crazy stuff. And then Bradley Beal hit a bunch of daggers, and John Wall did in Game 2 and got the crowd pumped. Last night, there were some good shots and stuff, but it was very anticlimactic, so I think that that was kind of part of it. And actually, to tell you the truth, the, the one person... And we're going to talk about it. The one person that has now got the got the crowd hyped more Smoking has been Joe Bra- Biden. 
Well, Joe Biden, yes. I mean, put that. It's Brandon Jennings, dude. Both games. Oh, yeah. Both games, yeah, yeah. Brandon Jennings has put on like some N one performance in these short little spurts. Very crucial in game two to get the momentum back. He had another moment that, you know, broke Calderon, got a timeout after both of those plays. In game two, it was a, it was a pass and dunk uh, to Jason Smith. And in game five uh, last night, it was a nifty pass to uh, Bogdanovich, who had a really nice finish up and under. But, but what I want to say, Troy, is that what was your, what's your takeaways of this game? When you look at it, you know, the Wizards prevailed by four points. They kind of outlasted them. But just your main takeaways before we go into the particulars of this contest. My main takeaway for this game was I think that the Wizards got back to a little bit of the defensive identity that that they had they showed in years past that gave them so much playoff success. That you know, this was their first time holding an opponent under a hundred points since since they played the Utah Jazz on April first. So it's oh, been wow. nearly it's been nearly a month since they've actually held a held an opponent under 100 points. Game five was a game where I feel like both teams, you know, were able to go back, watch film, go over all of their adjustments, and I feel like the Wizards made the proper adjustments to everything that Atlanta did to take back control of the series. Scott Brooks alluded that I think in the post game, correct, about how they had a big film game session. Jerry Brewer of the Washington Post wrote a column about it that I read. This is decent, and you're right. I mean, the, the Atlanta Hawks shot 38 of 93 from the field, 40 percent, and they shot nine of 31 from three, 29 percent. Now we can look at the, the glass half empty, the, the glass half full, and the full part is like, yo. You know, we, our defense played really well. Half empty is like, if they shot that poorly, they should have won this game handily, <laughs> right? Yeah. And they, and they also shot 14 to 21 from the free throw line, 67%. And I think they were like 1 to 6 right away. They missed a bunch of free throws early. And, and those end up kind of being the difference. It wasn't, it wasn't a big turnover game. There wasn't that many like rebound difference. It was a pretty even game when you look at the box score. But the things that stand out is that the Wizards just shot a little bit better from the field and a little bit better from three, and a little bit better from the free throw line. Like That's not why the difference of the game, because we're going to go into it, but th- when, that's what kind of stands out when I look at the at the box score. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, the Hawks definitely missed some shots, but I think that the Wizards made some pretty good adjustments that may have caused them to miss a lot of those shots. Mainly, I, I like the way that the Wizards kind of switched up their pick-and-roll coverage. Which, um, which was awful in Atlanta. Terrible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, the, I think what happened was, well, John Wall talked about this in the post-game press conference where he said that Atlanta made adjustments in games three and four where in at the beginning of the series, Washington came in with a concerted effort that they were going to go underneath all of these screens on Schroeder, so they were going to give him his open looks. What happened was Atlanta, they started... Is that Schroeder they, turned it or Seth Curry somehow? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... The, the thing is, uh, that Atlanta made the adjustment because in games three and four, Wall said this. He said that Atlanta started setting their screens a little bit lower on the court. Instead of them setting the screen way out 30 feet away from the basket, you know, they're setting it 23 to 25 feet away like from the right basket. The, right at so the three-point line, closer. right? It's almost like inside the three-point exactly. line, right? Exactly. And if you're going under the screen from that point, then Schroeder has that open mid-range jumper. Or he can he what he was doing was dribbling it and pulling it back 
and shooting that three-pointer. The Wizards, they had to go back and watch the film and make adjustments on that. And what they started doing was they started having the big man, Marcin Gortat, especially, you know, hit him with a hard hedge. You know, the guard would be able to sink into the paint to, you know, to make sure that they weren't able to hit that dump-off pass to Dwight Howard. With the big men hitting the hedge, you know, that gave the, the guards enough time to be able to recover and make sure that, you know, Schroeder and Hardaway weren't just taking, you know, wildly uncontested open looks. Definitely. The takeaways for me is that me and Rashad talked about what we needed to look forward to here in Game 5. And it was Otto needed to stop getting outplayed by a rookie. We needed Bojan or someone on the bench to really step up offensively. Ubre or Bohan, right? And, yep. and the other one was Markeith can't pick up two early fouls. It's not so much that like Markeith is such a vital part, which he is, is that it was throwing the whole rotations off every game. Like yep. he was putting Smith in too early. Then now Brooks is like scrambling. He's on the defensive, right? Instead of like, oh, like let me play some mix and matches or this guy's hot. Let me, you know, maybe go small or maybe go this thing, which he actually did this in game five more so than the, the games in Atlanta. Markeith scored early. You know, he had eight points in the first half. He did not get in foul trouble. Nobody really got in foul trouble for the Wizards. Bradley Beal got off, especially from the mid-range game in the first quarter. Uh, the Wizards trailed at the end of one, 25 to 23. Even though they were down two points, it was like, all right, this isn't like the same like narrative we've seen. Smith's in already. Millsap's just getting all these fouls. The like, play is stopping. Like they can't get out on the break. John Wall and Bradley Beal can't do the things they need to do. And that we're back into this whole slog that it was. And we're, we're yelling at the refs. The fans are saying, "You suck." And this whole negative, toxic thing, and the way that that manifested itself in Game One, Game Two, and, and a little not as much in in Atlanta, but and here we're back at home. And the other takeaway I would say, Troy, that comes out is like home cooking. They have been one of the best teams in the NBA at home all season, correct? And, and, yep. and so, and so, and so I was telling Rashad is that the way that this Game Five feels different than the Game Five from two years ago, where. You know, I thought the Wizards should have won, and John Wall came back from his injury, and the, the whole rebound that Horford got on the tip out is that that was in Atlanta, right? And like the Wizards earned earn the right to play this game, you know, albeit as way too fucking early at 6 p.m. because no respect from the national media. That there was, I could feel the energy. I could feel that Bohan and Ubre made a little bit more plays than they would have in Atlanta, right? And, and there was certain little little, you know, th- there wasn't a flustered. Uh, when things went poorly, that it it kept going. It was like, all right, next play, you know. I wouldn't say that they fed off the crowd, per se. I could just tell that they were more comfortable being at home and playing there. That wasn't really the difference difference, but that's the thing that really stood out, is that if this game is really played in Atlanta, maybe Atlanta wins. I definitely agree. I think that uh, the Wizards' ancillary players, you know, definitely were at uh, a huge advantage by, you know, having the you know, the home crowd, you know, behind them and supporting them. That One of the players, Ubre, he definitely fed off of the home crowd uh, energy in that fourth quarter where he had to play a lot of minutes after Jason Smith left the, uh, the game with that calf, in- with that calf injury. Mm-hmm, yes. You know, Ubre, yeah, yeah, U- Ubre was, you know, he, he was staring at the crowd. He was waving his hands, getting getting the crowd hyped up. Bullion definitely was able to feed off of the crowd, feed off of the energy. And I, and I think Otto Porter... 
had his best game of the series by far, and he even he was able to feed off of uh, some of the energy that was getting from the from the crowd. You know, they broke out a little Otto Porter chant in the in the arena. <laughs> in the second quarter, the Wizards outscore the Hawks twenty seven to twenty four. They go into halftime fifty to forty nine. Kind of weird because when I looked at the game, the Wizards. Starters came back with like five minutes left, and they're up like two or four points. And I felt they had an opportunity to really increase the lead. They didn't. It was Schroeder making some more shots. I mean, let's talk about Dennis Schroeder. I mean, he had 29 points, 11 assists, five of six from three, 10 of 18 from the field. And we've been hammering John Wall about his defense. It looks really poorly if I said the guy that John Wall was guarding had this many stuff in the way that. Jose Calderon in game four was the difference maker in the second quarter. Especially, it was at the, if you remember this play, it was at the end of the first half with like 10 seconds left, and John Wall just didn't even guard Jose Calderon on an out-of-bounds play, and he hit a three. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, at least get by him. I, I mean, I know that, that that one stands out. But the thing is about Schroeder, is I was thinking about today is about his game, is that I think Scott Brooks alluded to this in the press conference, and you can discuss that as well, is that Dude, he made a lot of tough shots. These threes were not as wide open as they were in Atlanta. I mean, they were doing. He would do this like step back dribble move, and he was so quick because he thought maybe he'd go in, and he'd step back in the same rhythm. And I was like, dude, it was like Steph Curry esque. I don't want to call him Steph Curry, but it was like, wow, dude, you just like did a step back flick the wrist, and it went in. You know, he did move the ball well, and he only had one turnover and eleven assists, and he was phenomenal. But I didn't think that the Wizards' defense was, like, that poor. I just thought Schroeder was making a lot of, like, big money plays. No, I definitely agree with you. I think that, uh, just like we said, um, you know, the Wizards weren't going under the screens like they were in the first few games of the series. You know, they they were contesting him, you know, out far away from the basket. So, you know, for him to be hitting the shots that he was, you know, that's a true testament to his improved play. I have to be honest, like, coming into this series – like, I was not expecting him to play at this level. I wasn't expecting him to be able to make shots like this. So, you know. I don't, I don't, you know, think, I don't think Hawks fans were. By the way, it was uh, a career-high five three-pointers. Also, he put up 29-11 for the first time for an Atlanta Hawk postseason franchise since Pistol Pete Maravich. Which, by the way, uh, Kyle Weedai, you know, unfriend of the pod, former friend of the pod, he said that Dennis probably has no idea who Pistol Pete Maravich is, which is probably true. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he definitely has no idea who Pistol Pete I was there, and when he, uh, when he was asked about it, I mean, he just had a blank stare on his face, and all he said was, I, I don't care about stats. Like, yeah. It's just like, yeah, I mean, obviously the guy grew up in Germany. Like, he, shit, man, I, I, I've never even seen Pistol Pete Maravich play, so I'm not going like, to blame the guy for not knowing about him. Dude, I mean, I've heard of Pistol Pete, but you know, I don't, I don't, I've never seen the guy play, so you know, it doesn't really have a, any sentiment to to me, as I'm sure it doesn't have for him. The only positive of a game seven that won't happen is that there will be a media availability on Saturday, and I'm going to go there and I'm going to ask Schroeder about Pistol Pete Maravich, and then I'm I'm going to ask him about his hair, like like, like his streaky hair. Like, does, yeah. his, does his mom like it? Does his girl like it? Does his friends like it? Does he ever get any shit for it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what, Adam? Adam, I hate to bust your bubble. Man. Somebody already I, asked I, it. I pray that Atlanta. Somebody already no, asked I pray. It. I pray that Atlanta. 
I know. I, said, I pray that Atlanta doesn't come back to DC. <laughs> I know. I, I'm just. I'm thinking hypotheticals. The Wizards going to halftime. They're up fifty to forty nine. I don't feel bad. I don't feel good. Feeling apathetic. Still got the anxiety happening. I did say hello to you briefly and Kyle uh, for those not caring about mundane life updates, dude. I hadn't got back to go see my boy, and Otto Porter comes busting out, hits two threes, gets fouled, has eight points out of nowhere. They call a timeout, and the Wizards are up, like, 11 points, and I'm like, yo, like, this is it. The crowd's into it. You know, the Hawks hadn't really made that many plays, and, I mean, it was like a blink of an eye, like an Otto Porter run. It was similar to what we've seen Otto Porter for majority, you know, the three-fourths of the season, where he ran to the corner, Wall found him, contested threes, busted him, went to the rim, cut, got fouled, made his free throws. The crowd was jumping. They called a timeout, like I said. And if, at this point, it was just as easily going to go to a 20 to 25 point lead for the Wizards as it would for the Hawks to come back. And of course, the yeah. Hawks came back, right, to cut it back down. But yeah. your thought, your thoughts of this team coming, the way they came out of the half, especially with Otto and fed off the energy was impressive, and obviously it sucked that they gave it up later, but they didn't give up the whole lead. It didn't go from a 20 points. I mean, they just allowed the Hawks to scratch back, but it was, I felt the adjustments were made at halftime for them to come out and feed off the injury and to see the old Otto Porter, the one that has, you know, a max contract on the line, finally show that was very good to see, dude. Yeah, so I thought that once Otto Porter, you know, kind of went on that little run, I thought that the Wizards were prepared to blow the doors off of the Hawks and, you know, take commanding control of the game and make sure that maybe the starters can get some rest in the fourth quarter. Tim Hardaway Jr. went on like an 8-0 run of his own. Yep, he did. You know, he, yeah, he, he, hit, he hit a couple threes and then a couple step-back jumpers. You look up, and the next thing you know, the Hawks were right back in the game. I was highly impressed, though, to to see Otto kind of get into a rhythm. And I was even more impressed at the fact that, yes, he hit those two three-pointers, but it's not like he was just sitting around on the perimeter only waiting to take three-point shots. He was attacking the basket. You know, he was cutting hard, moving around. He showed a lot more movement off the ball than he had first four games of this series. That is what allowed him to get involved in the game, and he, he shot 10 free throws. And I honestly, I, I don't think Otto has shot that many free throws all season. Good for him to kind of get out of his element and stop standing around just waiting for Wall to deliver the, the pass for him to shoot threes. He has other skills. Yeah, he did. He had 17 points on four shots. Two or three from three, nine or ten from the free throw line. Budenholzer, the coach of Atlanta, and I don't know if it was like a subtle jab, but he really highlighted that in the post-game press conference about how we can't have allow Otto Porter to get ten free throws. I don't really remember, but I do remember. It was like fast breaks. Otto was fouled each time. They were not bullshit calls. And it's not like it was isolation Otto off dribble on the on the side because that's not his game and that's not what the Wizards' offense is for him. It was him running out. On the break, cutting off of passes, stuff that we have not seen, like you mentioned, in this series. It's like the most points he's had since the beginning of March, which is pretty crazy to think about because he only had 17 points. But yeah, I felt like he really grabbed the momentum. Now you're mentioning Hardaway came back, and you're right. And at the end of the third quarter, it is 83 to 79. The Wizards are ahead by four points. Something that we need to mention too that happened at the end of the third quarter was the dunk by John Wall. 
on uh, uh, Mike Mascala. Mike Mascala, holy shit! Yeah, what a, what a yeah, the ball, the ball, ball hit him in the face and everything. <laughs> yeah. That, so we come to the fourth, and now I found my buddy. I'm in the second level, sweet level, directly behind the Wizards bench, and I'm just not talking to him. I'm drinking water. I am nervous. I'm not nervous because the Wizards are playing poorly or the Hawks are playing so well. I can tell, you know, you go to so many different games, you're like, all right, the Wizards are about to collapse or this team's about to, you know, make these shots. The Spurs are about to go on some run. It wasn't that. The stakes of it. I mean, it's game five. The stats say I saw the night before when the Clippers were playing the Jazz and the Spurs were playing Grizzlies and they said that since the game seven format for the NBA playoffs, that the team that wins game five, when the series is tied up at 2-2, wins 84% of the time, the series. So, granted, yeah, I mean, I'm a big probability man. I don't want to be on the 16%, Troy. I want to be on the 84. <laughs> so, hey, I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I didn't know that set at the time, but that's the thing that I was seeing. The Wizards, we have to mention, Brandon Jennings, Jitterbug Jennings, comes in. At the end of the third quarter and at the beginning of the fourth, does make some plays, man. He got a huge steal. They took Beal out and they kept Wall in. So Brooks, finally in the second half, had Wall or Beal in at all times. Thank you, Scott Brooks. That's what I said last podcast. Thank you uh, that you kept one of them in. And then Jennings has a huge steal, Calderon, and then he goes down and he makes like a fucking... Jennings is back in the playground, man, in SoCal and Compton. Just busts up Calderon's ankles and then does an underhand pass to Bohan for a pretty finish, like we mentioned earlier. The crowd was hyped. The Wizards had end up having a seven point lead at the time, nine minutes left in the game. What is your thoughts of Jennings' contributions here so far? I've been thoroughly impressed with Jennings over the course of this playoff series. The thing that he adds uh, to this team is. You know, he comes in, he plays at the same pace that John Wall plays, and he's a true point guard. You know, his ball handling skills are top-notch. Literally has the ball on a rope. He controls the ball. He has the skills, the passing skills to, you know, initiate the offense and to get other players involved. That is the thing that has, you know, been his bread and butter over his tenure as a wizard. But what he has done over the playoff series is shown that he still has the ability to score the basketball. And although he didn't score a lot yesterday, he's been knocking down some shots in this series. And I think he's been a big help. Just steady the, the team, you know, while Wall sits. You know, my, my only beef with, it's not with Jennings, it's more so with Scott Brooks, is the Jennings-Wall lineup together. I feel like Jennings is a lot better when Wall's not in the game. And I think the stats. Yeah, of have, I, I think the stats have bred that out. Now Kyle has talked about it. We've wrote about it. The numbers don't lie. It is a bad matchup of those two because Jennings just needs the ball and needs to create a little bit. And John Wall on the side without the ball is not the John Wall that we want. Sometimes Wall and Jennings don't know when who needs to defer to each other either. That's the other beef, I think. Yeah, well, the problem is Scott Brooks doesn't have any other options because the Wizards don't have a backup shooting guard. Essentially, Jennings is the backup point guard and the backup shooting guard. They're running a three-guard lineup. That's and true. in order to stagger those minutes, Wall and Jennings are going to have to be on the court together. Now, what, what Brooks did yesterday was he usually leaves Wall in uh, for the entirety of the first quarter 
and then he'll run Jennings and Bill in the second quarter. But yesterday he uh, he took Wall out with Early, about two and, minutes and played Bill yeah, the whole first exactly, quarter, right? Exactly. What that did was it allowed Bill to kind of get into a little bit of a rhythm with, with, with because he's playing alongside Jennings. Bill did get into a rhythm and he was attacking the basket. He felt like he had control of the offense. And then by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, yes, he had to play Wall and Jennings together. But by that time, I feel like, you know, Wall was in a much better rhythm as far as taking control of the offense. And Jennings was able to kind of defer to Wall and let him kind of do his thing. But Jennings was still making plays in other ways without without having to bring the ball up the court every time. Kelly Oubre, another play that stands out, is in the corner, about to shoot a three. And then you realize that there is no human being around him at all. So he yeah, so I mean, he drives to the rim, and I was like, "Oh shit, he's about to get fouled." Can Kelly is Kelly Oubre gonna get another charge? Any or is he gonna miss another dunk? Is, <laughs> any Kelly Oubre drive is is an experience, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, Dwight Howard just like looks at him and just decides to box out Gortat and just allows yeah, well, allows Kelly Oubre to dunk it, and then you go down the other end, and Dwight Howard then commits an offensive foul, picks up his fifth foul. And the Wizards are up 92 to 83. The arena is jumping, and John Wall is coming in with eight minutes left. The Wizards up nine. And it just felt like, oh, wow, like they have this game in control. Even though Dwight Howard wasn't that big in this game, the way that he dominated the first half in game four and has, you know, been a, probably a negative for the Hawks overall in this series. But it was good to see Dwight Howard. Uh, get up his fifth foul and make two bonehead plays. Do you remember that dunk? Like, what were you doing, bro? Like, if I was a basketball coach, I'd call timeout right now and just, like, rip on everyone. It wasn't, like, a half-court possession. Secondary break situation, right? Like, it's not like it was, like, straight-up ass break. There was nobody there. It was like, dude, there was, like, four Hawks players in the paint, and somehow they just allowed Kelly Oubre to dunk it. (laughs) Which Which he made, by the way, for them wondering. Yeah, I think that that was a clear low basketball IQ moment for Dwight Howard. He had already set up in his mind that he was going to be boxing out Marcin Gortat. Because Oubre kind of hesitated for a second, like he was still going to take the three-pointer. For, let, let, let's be honest, though. I mean, that that was one hell of a box out because I mean he put the he put his butt on Gortat. I mean he moved him he moved him all the way on the other side of the court, not knowing that you know he, he's basically giving up the wide open lane to uh, to Kelly Oubre. The low basketball IQ play from from Dwight Howard. I mean, I have no complaints about it. So <laughs> they cut the game to three points, and the only reason I'm going to mention this part is that finally Marcin Gortat gets fouled. And he's at the free throw line shooting his first free throw of the series. And they've of the series. Of yep. the series, game five. And they've really been obsessing about this on the post-game show after Chick Hernandez. They were talking about it. But, dude, if I looked at game three and game four, and I haven't looked as much in game one or game two, but, but once they start talking about this, as much as I hate the refs and they've been favoring Atlanta more than Washington on the calls, on the whistles for sure, there hasn't been that many that comes out to be like, oh, yeah, Marching got screwed on that one. Or, like, he went up to the rim yeah. with a power move. I was like, no, dude, he shoots these, like, fadeaway jumpers or these fadeaway left hooks, and they haven't gone in. Like, there hasn't been a, a situation where he really deserves a foul, so he's not getting fouled. Now, if you want to say the Wizards need to dump it in to him more, and Rashad has argued they need to get him a little bit more early on some touches, but the reason he got the foul is that Wall really saw him sealing a little guy. I forgot if it was... 
Bazemore or Schroeder got switched on him. And Wall fed him, even though it was a three-point game at the time, he saw that he had a little guy in the paint, and he knows his big guy needs to get going, right? And he fed him there, and he, of course he misses it, but he gets fouled, and he's at the free throw line, and he makes his first free throw, and Hoop District has a great gift. I saw him when I was watching it. He like, like tapped his tapped his head. Oh wow, I finally scored. It was like it was like not even a free throw. He hadn't, he didn't score last game either, so he hadn't scored a point in two games. That hasn't happened very often in Marshall Gortat's career. So it was funny to see him finally maybe exercise some demons. He makes another free throw, and I told my buddy next to me is that you know this about basketball, especially when you're struggling. Is that sometimes when you get the free throw line, right? Like your jumper isn't going, or you know, you're not getting the calls you want, or your offensive game isn't the way that it normally is, even if you're a big scorer or a medium scorer. Sometimes if you just get to the free throw line and make a couple shots, then it gives you a little bit boost of confidence, right? Like just a little tad, like, oh wow, I saw the bat the ball go in psychologically. Then dude, they come back down. Beal hits the fucking mid-range jumper, and then they run a two-man game, Wall and Gortat, which has been missing, because that has been the bread and butter, right, of this offense. That still has been a staple of the John Wall career since Gortat has been here. And Gortat rolls the rim, Wall finds him through three guys, a sick-ass pass. And Gortat, of course, uh, doesn't dunk it and almost misses it, but it goes in. So it was weird to see that Gortat finally get these free throws, and they go right back to Gortat. And then the next play down, Gortat makes a block on Hardaway out of bounds. And it was just like, wow, oh yeah, well, uh, it's, it's in the middle of the fourth quarter and Gortat's making plays that help the team, which we have not seen at all. Correct? Yeah, well, I know it's a mini run about Gortat, but the reason I highlight it is just to talk about Gortat in the context of like him finally get, maybe getting his confidence and you actually seeing it displayed on the court a little bit on both ends. See, the thing is, see, this is where I think I disagree with that because I feel like Gortat has been contributing to the game. He's been contributing just in different ways. So over the course of the regular season, Gortat led the NBA in this stat called screened assists. So he screened assists is basically where if you set the screen and the player comes off of that screen and they score a basket, he led the NBA in that stat over the course of the regular season. At 6.7 screened assists per game. And during the postseason, he's up to 10.1 screened assists per game. So basically what's going on is they're not running offense through him. He is a catalyst in helping get other players involved and get other players open. And I think a part of that reason is because they're adjusting to what the Hawks are doing because Dwight Howard has spent the majority of the series just literally standing in the paint. So the Hawks are clogging up the paint purposely, making it hard for Wall to, you know, get off the dribble drives and the those little pocket passes that he likes to get do to get uh, Gortat involved the easy layups. Which we you know, saw, they, in, they, which they, we they saw in game one too, by the way. They were right in unison in game one. Yeah, but the thing is the Hawks have they've just taken that away. So they could try to force, you know, some post ups to Gortat. But that, I mean, that, that would take the, the rhythm and the flow out of what the Wizards are trying to do offensively. But what they can do is, like, they, they bring, they're pulling Gortat out away from the basket, and he's setting these screens all over the court, and he's getting people open. You know, yes, he's not scoring as much as I'm sure that he would like to, or that, you know, that most fans are used to uh, from him impacting these games heavily. Like I said, like, he led the NBA with 6.7 screen assists for the season, but he's up to 10 screen assists a game. Like, I mean, he's creating points 
for the Wizards offensively, you know, w- without having the ball in his hands. I understand where it doesn't look like it because it, that's not a, you know, a traditional box score stat where you don't, you, you're not being able to see, you know, tangibly Gortat's contribution. But I mean, he's out there, he's making plays and he's opening up things for his teammates. I agree. I mean, he rebounded decently, but it was always rebounds. You know, there was a good piece on Deadspin about this, and it's not—it's not just Gortat. I mean, the whole front line, Markeith and Smith were just as bad, if not. But Gortat played better than them, and we've never ran the offense through Gortat per se. But just the fact remains is that he went one whole game. The game came down to the fourth quarter, and now it's the middle of the fourth quarter, and he's trying to get his first point, right? Like, so I'm not saying like that's his fault per se. In general, because maybe he doesn't have that many as opportunities as he has. But, yo, Gortat, seven foot, should get this. Now, because he was great in game one and game two. How have you felt about these referees in, in this postseason? Uh, because, Troy, last podcast, uh, me and Rashad have been doing some sharp ones, 30 minutes. This one's already going way off, but it's fine. I haven't had you on for a while. But me and Rashad, and you don't have a kid or a wife the way that Mr. Mobley does. Efficient. <laughs> I've been really efficient, but going. But yesterday, I just went off on this whole tan or two days ago, whole tangent about the refs and Paul Millsap and all this stuff that was going that was happening. Before I go off on my chance of the refs, what what is your thoughts of the referees so far this series? I know we're biased for the Wizards, but I mean, like I said in the last podcast, I mean, even Atlanta Hawks bloggers and podcast people are being like, yo, we're getting like a little bit more calls in the Wizards here. The referees have been uh, kind of piss poor with this whole series. They kind of lost control after those first two games where, you know, the Hawks were doing a lot of complaining. I wouldn't as go as far as uh, Markeith Morris went to call, you know, Millsap a crybaby. The Hawks made a concerted effort to get into the officials' heads and let them know that the, that the Wizards were playing, you know, a physical brand of basketball. And I think what happened was the referees, they tried to overcompensate for that by calling, you know, a a lot more calls than they normally would. And it pretty much made, you know, games three and four, um, you know, kind of unwatchable because, you know, the referees were, you know, game two two was unwatchable for sure. Yeah, uh, well, most of these games have been negatively affected by the referees because they don't have control over what's going on on the court. And in order for them to get control, they're just they're just out there calling fouls left and right. I have not been impressed with, you know, the referees. I feel like they've been overcompensating. Need to take a step back and let the players decide the outcome of these games. I mean, it's to be fair to the ref. Oh God, I can't believe I'm saying to be fair to the refs. But they didn't control this game the way that I felt like they've controlled the majority of the games in the series. But the play I'm about to explain to you is that the Wizards are up seven, playing defense, and Schroeder makes a bad pass in the lane, three minutes left in the game, and the ball's loose on the floor in the lane. Markeith is guarding Pill Millsap on the block, dies for the ball, is grabbing the ball, and Millsap falls over his legs, and they call a foul on Markeith Morris. Yep. Yeah, and, that, and, that was a terrible. That was a terrible call. And so what's huge about this is that if the Wizards get this ball, maybe get a foul or whatever, then they go up nine, and the Hawks are you know two and a half left. I mean, it's pretty not over in the NBA, but instead Millsap gets uh, two free throws, and this is where I'm pissed at Marquise. Get, gets a technical yeah, by getting dude. that tech. Yep. I was going off to my buddy. I was like, 
Yo, dude, Markeith, what the fuck are you doing, bro? It's three minutes after the game. I know that that was a shitty call. But come on, dude, one point right now is huge. And so they got three points out of that. So then the Wizards go down the court, if you remember this, and the Hawks are just playing some shitty-ass defense, and Bradley Beal just is dribbling the ball right by the Wizards' bench. Nobody's guarding him. And he walks in, and he's like, well, shit, I'll just, sh- I'll just shoot this 24-footer. Misses it. And then all of a sudden, they get a run out, and Prince goes to the rim, and now, now the, now, and gets a layup, and now it's a two-point game. Wizards call a timeout. And I was like, I was like, oh, Jesus. I was like, whoa, whoa, we were just up seven, maybe going to go up nine. And all of a sudden, now, now we're only up two with two minutes, have a timeout. And that's when my anxiety attack was really coming on. I was, uh, I was pretty mad at Bill for, for staring down his shot after that play when he should have been getting back on defense. There's no way that Tayshaun Prince should have leaked out and, and got that open layup like that. And, and you know that 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 was literally a, a mental lapse on Bill for not getting back after he you know you you take a three pointer you're clearly the last line of defense like stop staring down your shot and get back on defense yeah oh yeah it was an easy lay by Prince so in this timeout so I'm watching the good thing about sometimes going to these games is that you know look at the bench you know I look at the crowd we look at you know Joe Biden which we're about to talk to in a little bit after after I get through this game during that timeout I'm taking these photos and I actually recorded a video and Scott Brooks is on the clipboard and he isn't doing Randy Whitman where he you know changes it seven different times he is like just going off on his clipboard and you can see the players kind of looking not looking and then he'd stop and he'd be talking talking and then he's like I was like, wow, he's really being like, set this double screen. Like, he's pissed during the timeout. You know, he's mad about Markeith having the technical. He's mad about them not getting back on defense. He's mad that we just had this game. Still a TV timeout. The whole starters are on this scores table. And the only one that doesn't go is Bradley Beal, who's still on the bench drinking water. Oh, shit. Beal's gas. He played that whole first quarter that we talked about earlier. You know, he's played a lot mm-hmm. of minutes. I hope he doesn't have to take a shot. They run a play, dude, and they usually run that one play, you know, where Markeith or Gortat will set that flare screen for Beal to come come off on the on the wing. This time, he fades back, and Wall hits him. He goes in the corner, makes a move, and just drains a twenty foot jumper. And with two minutes left, put the Wizards up four. So Prince goes down and misses a layup. Beal gets the rebound. Gortat ends up getting fouled, makes only one of the free throws. The thing that really stood out of game two was. When Beal hit this dagger three, Beal was shot terribly in his playoffs, uh, especially from three-pointers. Beal hit this dagger three, and the crowd just exploded. And when he had it set up, the Wizards up five, wing the ball around, Beal's wide open on the left top of the key for a three. And if he hits it, it's you know they're up five, going to go up eight, you know a minute and 20 left. And you can just feel the arena ready to blow the roof off. And he misses it. And then, of course, what happens? Uh, Schroeder goes back and hits a three. And here we got set up. The Wizards are up two with a minute left. And we're going to go back into the two reasons they won is because of Bradley Beal and John Wall. But dude, Wall comes down. And what we've known in John Wall's career, they've always sat on him, make him do that jumper. And now he's almost, it's almost to the point now he gets in the lane a little bit too deep, doesn't know if he needs to pass it or shoot the floater. And he comes down, they go under the screen, and there's John Wall with an 18-foot freaking jumper and he cash monies it dude to take the team up 103 to 99 the hawks call the timeout no one ends up scoring after that 
And just those two plays of those two players, once again in crunch time, I feel is something that we need to discuss more than we do. Bill and Wall, this isn't their first time at the rodeo. They are the players who have, you know, the, the playoff experience on this team. Wall is not afraid of the moment. Bill, you know, he has stepped up, uh, even though his shot really hasn't been falling for him. You know, he, he, he actually lamented that after the game. He's saying that his shot still sucks. He's made, he's finding other ways to impact the game. You know, he had that, that crucial block on Millsap in the fourth quarter and yeah. in, the, in, the, in the closing minutes. Bill had 27 points, was 11 of 22 from the field, 41 minutes, five rebounds, one assist, three steals, three blocks as a shooting guard. Unfortunately, was uh, one of nine from three. Uh, he was four or six from the free throw line. The fact that he's still able to put in 27 and make a bunch of clutch buckets and keep the offensive flowing there in the first quarter the way he did while he still shot so poorly from the three-point line. Definitely kind of alarming the fact that he's shooting 24% from three yeah. in this series. What that does, I think that bodes well for the Wizards, the fact that you know they're still in a commanding uh, position right now with the fact that Bill isn't even shooting that well. Wall and Bill's clutchness, you know, isn't just defined about by them how they sh- how well they shoot the ball or how they put the ball in the basket. What they are developing is they're developing into two very high character players, pretty much willing to do whatever it takes in order for the team to win. Beal is shooting twenty four percent from three, twelve of fifty. He is shooting 37-63 from two, 59% from two-pointers. The last two playoffs, when he was 20-21 and showed out, he shot 41 from three, 37 from three, and shot 42 from two and 42 from two. And he obviously took a lot more two-pointers than he did, but wow. It is good to see them still being able to contribute the way he did. Now, Troy... Now let's talk about the ending. I've buried the lead and hopefully everyone's still listening to us. The reason I want to go through this is that I had not seen an ending like this in a long time. So Wall hits the bucket. The Hawks call timeout. It's 103 to 99. They call play. Of course, they go to to Millsap. Now, you were mentioning uh, pauses about Gortat. There was key moments there in the fourth quarter where Markeith was actually in the game, and they had Markeith on Muscala, I believe, or they went way small, maybe. Maybe Muscala was out. And Gortat was the one covering Millsap, and he played pretty good defense on him. Two or three possessions, they're very key. This one happened. Uh, Millsap goes to the rim. Now, of course, Millsap you know, thinks he gets fouled just waking up in the morning. Complain. I didn't think it was a foul at all. I think he forced the action. It was a no call. He misses the layup at the rim. The Wizards get the rebound. It's, so now they're up four points with 37 seconds left. It's similar to maybe, I would say, when you're a football coach and they ask you when you go for two. There's supposedly some card that tells you that, right? They're like, oh, you go for two at this time in this quarter. Or at this time, you go for two. Dude. Uh, when you're down two possessions with 37 seconds left in the NBA, I'm uh, pretty sure you foul right away. Correct? Yeah, no, I mean, definitely correct. I mean, uh, Budenholzer, I mean, he, he, he jacked the money with that one. If the Wizards just hold on to the ball and run the 24-second shot clock down, you still only get the ball with 12 seconds left and you're down, down four two, points. Two I mean, possessions. That, I mean, that, two that, possessions. That's not, that's not smart. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be like, okay, you're down yep, three. Yeah, that's not smart. So, so you're down three with, say, 30 seconds left, right? I get playing defense, maybe, right? 30, 35, low 30s, you're down one possession, for sure. Let's play it out. Let's get the stop. Maybe shoot the three. But when you're down two possessions at four points, you foul right away. He doesn't foul. John Wall does exactly what you're discussing. And so I recorded all this. I'm, I'll put it up on the website here. John Wall just like airs the ball out with about you know a couple seconds left, takes a, like a shot in the corner. He thinks he gets fouled. Then, oh my God, on the video, you'll hear me, Troy, and I don't know your reaction. Marcin Gortat gets the rebound with 12 seconds. And I look, and Otto Porter is wide open on the wing. All he has to do is throw it back out to Otto Porter, and it would take probably three or four more seconds for someone to foul him. And he tries to put the put back in. Misses the shot. The Hawks get it back with 10 seconds. And then the Hawks, in some weird-ass fashion, I don't even know if they had timeouts left. They should have called the timeout. They end up making like two or three passes. And all of a sudden, Tim Hardaway shoots a a three-pointer down four with one second left, and that was the ball game. Think about how many times we watch these NBA games and how many times they call so many timeouts in the last minute and all this stuff. It's like literally John Wall hits a jumper with 47 seconds left, and we just played it all out. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck are you doing, Atlanta coach? Budenholzer, you should have fouled. But then you're down five or down six, and you can hit a three. You're still down two possessions. But what if you're down five and hit a three? Now you're only down one possession. That's the whole point of fouling and continuing the game. It ended up in the Wizards' benefit, and I was, like, exhaling because I felt like, like you were mentioning, the Wizards, like, I wouldn't say they severely outplayed them, but they, they deserved to win that game more than Atlanta did. So it just felt good that now, hell, we're up 3-2, blah, blah. But I was like, what the hell just happened? So then afterwards, I was like, did any, I didn't see anything in the post-game quotes about asking Budenholz about it. I, I watched today the press conference, and the, age, the Atlanta General Constitution writer asked him, about his late possessions. And I think he was kind of talking about, like, why didn't you foul? But he just kind of mentioned, like, you know, once Dennis hit this three, you guys kind of slogged down. And he was like, oh, I liked our looks. Our looks were good. And then he was like, you know, Millsap's going to the rim. And he's kind of bitching about calls without bitching about calls. Yo, dude, you're down two possessions with 30 seconds that allowed the Wizards to, to run off essentially half the game left. When you're down two possessions, like, that's fucking stupid. And I just watched the Houston-Oklahoma City series where I saw so many fucking stupid plays happening on both sides, coaching and players. I, it was really shocking to see how poorly the Hawks played this end of the game out. Uh, did, that, did that come to mind when I'm talking about it? It was really glaring to me you know, as a basketball fan. But, of course, as a Wizards partisan, I was like, good job. Thanks for allowing that to happen because... Who knows if we would have missed one or two and then Schroeder would have hit a three or Millsap would have got fouled and, you know, on a three or some some fucking crazy shit would have happened. I mean, I literally watched the Wizards be up six points with 20 seconds left against the T-Wolves and go to overtime. I've seen some fucked up shit happen to this team. Hey, we, we've all seen some fucked up shit happen, and that's why we can't hear. We, I'm not going to sit here and complain about Budenholzer's stupidity because that pretty much sealed the Hawks' fate right there. Hopefully, if we're if they were in the same situation again, I hope that he makes the same mistake. So I'm not, I'm not going to criticize the guy too heavily for that. And the reason I brought up Porter and Bogdanovich and Jennings to a certain extent, you know, Ubre making a three and making that dunk is that the Hawks did not get the contributions that they did in Atlanta. Let's look at their stats real quick. Bazemore, 3-12 of 12 
in 23 minutes, 6 points. 6 points and 12 shots. Calderon, 2 points and 2 shots, 10 minutes. Ilosova only had 2 points, 1 of 6. Hardaway, 6 of 18 from the field, 15 points. Howard, 2 of 3 from the field, 5 points. Prince, who had 10 points, but 4 of 11. And that has been really the difference in the last two losses for the Wizards, where those players were making more plays than the Wizards players, aside from Wall and Beal, and Beal having a terrible third game. And that was really the difference. And also, it comes down to the sense that, you know, Mills had 21 points, 8 of 9 from the field, only 6 free throws, even though he bitches all the time about free throws. You know, he got in a little early foul trouble, was complaining, I felt he was little off his game. The point that me and Rashad made was that, okay, who's the three best players in the series? It's Millsap, Wall, and Beal. Now, Wall and Beal are going to play like the best players because if it's Millsap playing like the best players and Wall, maybe Beal, maybe not, and then Atlanta has, like, you know, the next four or five best players in that series, they'll be fine. What ended up happening is Schroeder probably was the best player in this game, but Wall and Beal were two or three, Correct. And that, I thought that that was really key, especially down the stretch. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, Schroeder, Schroeder has, you know, stepped his play up, and I think that he was the best Atlanta player in the game. I honestly believe that Bill had the best overall game yesterday, despite his struggles from the three-point range. That he had the best overall control the battle, you know, defending, you know, uh, blocking shots, getting steals, getting rebounds. You know, I feel like he had the most impact on the game. But also, we talked about it, it's like the decision to put Beal on Schroeder at the end. He, it really did cause a little problems for Schroeder. Yeah, the, the extra length. It did. Bill was uh, he was very active with making sure that you know Schroeder was uh, taking you know highly contested shots. You know, I think that Wall has gotten a little lazy with his on ball defense. Uh, Oh, it's been Over bad. the last it's few been, weeks of the season, it's been bad. Kind of hesitating, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of bashing the guy. I don't know if you saw uh, Candace Buckner's tweet. Uh, oh yeah, we, from the other day. I put it in my link roundup, and I and she got interviewed by Wiz Extra. It was a great piece. Did you read that Wiz Extra piece about it? No, I did. I didn't oh, read that. No, piece. no, they, no. They interviewed her, so I missed the tweet thing where she was complaining about John Wall's defense at the end of, uh, for those that don't know what we're talking about, in the end of the game four, what'd she say? Like, I hope John Wall play, finally plays defense. John Wall, of course, writes it manually, Re- which, which is, retweets yeah. it manually, which is really funny. It's like an old old school tweet he doesn't need to do. He sees a hit, hit retweet, and you can write your thing up top. He uses the RT, so he actually typed in RT, and then put it in the LOL. And then Gortat responds, she's not wanted now in the locker room. And I think he's just trying to, like, be a tough guy with Wall. Gortat, first of all, you ditch every locker room talk to talk to people. And so what ended up happening is that she said that she got so much hate on Twitter that was extra, uh, had a relationship with her, they interviewed her, and she talked about, it was a, it's really good, uh, I'll link it in the show notes, and she talked about how how great John Wall is, a superstar, and everyone told her how great he is, and how she has a job, he has a job, and he answers all the questions that he doesn't need to answer, blah, blah, And so she waited after practice the next day, and it had actually flown in on like an early flight, and got there just in time for press availability, and John was getting like massage treatment, and she waited to talk to him about that tweet. 
yo, like, are we cool or what's up? And he was like, yeah, man, we're good. You know, another superstar probably wouldn't have done that. And so she actually talked about that in a way. And she made a bunch of funny jokes. I believe Candace Buckter in this tweet. He's been playing bad defense. Jose Calderon fucking torched his ass. And Schroeder has been getting anywhere he wants in the lane. Now, he's been phenomenal offensively. And the highlights that he's done. And his team would not be up 3-2 without John Wall. We know this. His team is not going to go far enough without him. But he is... Slipped a little bit on his defense, and for you to criticize him on his defense, and I'm pretty sure that Scott Brooks in that film study probably brought up John Wall's name, right? Exactly, and you know, like you said, it's not coincidental that everybody, everybody in the media is is noticing that his defense is slipping. I think it's a coincidence Bill was you know closing out the game on, on Schroeder uh, to make sure you, you're going to have somebody who's actually going to get up on him and, and try to deny the ball, press up on him, get underneath his jersey. We're up 3-2, headed back to Atlanta. Hopefully, it probably doesn't matter about John Wall. He's probably throwing dollar bills at Magic City currently right now where we podcast this because, you know, you're a young NBA player in Atlanta and there's a lot of... Hey, let's... let's- Let's hope not, man, because uh, the, the, the sixth woman is real. <laughs> well, I know. It's like Miami and Atlanta, right, in L.A.? Are those the three cities that young uh, black millionaires do not need some off days in? <laughs> like Utah, Utah, Milwaukee. I'm like, yeah, how much trouble can they, can they do in those cities? Cleveland, yeah, man, you got a bunch of money, hey, a bunch of rappers chilling, right? <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, I, I, spent, I spent six years of my life living in Atlanta, and I, I'll tell you this. That's not a place that you want to go out and, and be, be roaming the streets all hours of the night. There's a lot of trouble you can get yourself so, so, into. So give me a recap of Magic City. Tell the people what Magic City's all about. Because I can tell you my favorite strip club. My college roommates live in Atlanta for a long time, and I've been down there. And uh, I was a Pink Pony fan, dude. Love me some Pink Pony. See, that's the, the, see Pony? Uh, <laughs> Pink Pony? Hey, Pink Pony's cool, man. My favorite strip club in Atlanta, though, is uh, what was Body Tap. Really? Body Tap. Uh, see, the thing is, we see. All right, so I'm. 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 I'm you see, now we're getting off on a completely different right, tangent. Keep, keep going. Keep going. At, Atlanta strip club culture. It's like the NBA down there. It's yes, like so. Yes. Magic City. Magic City is like, yo, you're playing for the Miami Heat, like. Yes. But Body Tap is like, Body Tap is like, is like uh for the regular like folk. The the University folk. Con- yeah, 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 no, no, no. Well, I'm gonna describe it. Body Tap is like, uh, it's like a University of Kentucky. It's like the feeder system for. <laughs> that's where. That's where. <laughs> that's where. That's it's like where the young like, prospects. Have, the young prospects are there. Oh, the young, the young prospects. So like all the all the hot strippers in uh, Magic City, they had they, they. You don't just start in Magic City. You gotta start dues. in the club before pay, that. Pay the Ex- dues. Exactly. You gotta pay your dues. They, you know, they, 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 they've gone through, you know, uh, the D League, you know, the training camp process, you know, five dollar lap dances until you can work your way up. Then by the time you made it to Magic City, then, then that's when you made it to the big time. <laughs> so, any famous people you've seen in the, the Body Tap or, or the strip clubs? Any rappers yeah, yeah. or ballers? Well, yeah. Yeah, the thing is, you you have like lots of the the, the low level rappers, the Travis Scotts, the wannabe mixtapes, you know, the, uh, the, the wannabe the, the Migos, 
No, I mean, the thing is about Atlanta rap is the fact that there's so, all these rappers like the Migos and Travis Scott and all these all these other people before they were hot. You know, they were just, you know, young kids out there, you know, <laughs> roaming the streets, getting into trouble. Everybody's not down. Every rapper is not down there like uh, Jeezy riding around in a Lamborghini. <laughs> before your T.I. You know? kept copping the charge or... Uh... <laughs> Exactly. I mean, there 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 are plenty of rappers before, but when they're still dropping mixtapes, sell, selling the mixtapes out the trunk, you can catch them in the in, in some of these establishments getting five dollar lap dances. <laughs> so, do you think that the Wizards were at Magic City at all? No, I, I highly doubt that. Okay. I think that uh, yeah, when they're down I mean, there, I, I mean, when, they... when Beal was airballing twenty-foot uh, shots or ten-foot jumpers in that game three, and they looked terrible. Of course, what's the first comment that was on my text thread? Yo, man, uh, Magic City Wizards. <laughs> they're at Magic City, and then it was like, well, the one that I would think for sure would be in Magic City is John Wall, and probably bringing in a rookie, right? A couple of rookies with him. And then, or maybe Marquis for some muscle or some shit like that. Maybe Beal, maybe not Beal. And all of a sudden, it's like John Wall was having an amazing game. So I was like, well, maybe John Wall can still go to the strip club and, and not. I know he loves Atlanta. But I think it is, the point I was trying to make is that uh, <laughs> a lot of enticing options there uh, for, for, for a young uh, NBA baller, correct? Actually, I would throw DC as Yo, up. for I, sure. For I, I, th- I throw DC up probably as like four or five on this list if we talk about it. Like, I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta, New Orleans, I guess too. I mean, the least options like as like a young black millionaire, we got with like a baller scene. I'd say like there's five or six cities that you have to be kind of worried about. And I feel like Atlanta, Miami, and LA are the top ones. Maybe New Orleans, Chicago, New York, DC. Right, not Minneapolis. Yeah, I, I'd say <laughs> definitely not Minneapolis. Definitely, definitely not Salt Lake City. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> not Portland. <laughs> are there black, are there black Ooh, people? Hey, are there hey, black people in Portland? I don't know. I don't know. I got I got some friends out in Portland, and they say the uh, strip club culture in Portland is some of the most underrated in the country. So, so, so there's one. Black, I, I, there's I'm, one. I'm, I, I, there's one black strip club in Portland that everyone gets t- taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Port- Portland is supposed to be uh, hip- hipster central, so... Well, Memphis, hey, Memphis, might, I, be, Memphis never... might be a, a, an underdog. They're not thinking about it. They probably throw down to Memphis for the ballers. <laughs> yeah, me- Memphis, they probably... Uh, Houston, they Houston. Get you, they get you... Oh yeah, Houston. Oh, Houston. Yeah, Houston Houston's yeah. amazing. Houston might be <laughs> Houston might be like number seven, maybe on my list. Charlotte, I don't know. Charlotte eight, maybe. No, 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 man. Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte's a pretty weak city, man. Yeah, the, yeah. The, <laughs> it is. You can, uh, you, you, you'll be more liable to go to church in Charlotte than than <laughs> than to be getting in any trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the banks. Okay, so obviously we just went off on a, a random uh, tangent, but I'm telling you, the Pink Pony in Atlanta. Was phenomenal. The reason I liked about the Pink Pony for your strip club aficionados that are still listening, which is predominantly probably males and any females, because I know my girl's still not listening because we're at the end of this podcast. She only listens to the beginning, Troy. Uh, is that it was like it, it, it allowed you to like you go in these strip clubs sometimes, dude, and like you get in there and it, sometimes it's smaller. Like all right, it's almost like a semi line. You're like, here's your ten dollar beer, here's your seat. You got to spend so much money here or you're out. 
And it was like, the Pink Pony, man, just allows you to just go where you want to go, man. And like, I'm going to give you money, but just allow me to give my money when I'm going to give my money. Don't just force me. I'm still going to buy those overpriced drinks. I'm still going to go to Sniffer's Row and throw the fucking money down, but allow me to make that decision and give me some options. And that was a point in the culture that I was like, oh my God, this place is amazing. And that, you know, and of course, you know, my friends fell in love with strippers because, you know, it's, you know, it's fool's gold. Out there in these streets, and, you know, black, white, Latino, it don't matter there in the ETL, man. It, it, it's all everything. And we're not even talking about the gold club. We're too, we're too, well, you're younger than me, and I'm old, but like, can you imagine when the gold club and all that shit with like Patrick Ewing and Jordan and all those motherfuckers in like the early 90s when it all went down? Can you imagine if there was social media and flip phones and camera phones and like all that shit was going down and those fuckers were just running like a brothel out of the oh. gold club in Atlanta. What was that, like the early 90s? It all went down for like tax invasion yeah, or some yeah. shit, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, and they I've all went on trial. Stories, they, <laughs> I'm almost positive that like, they went on trial, I think. Like Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning and like, you know, all these, you know, who else? Like Gary Payton and... You know, all the all the ballers, I think it was a little bit before Iverson's time. It was more like early 90s is when the shit was just flying there in the ETL. But anyway, we're off a tangent. Troy, let's finish it up. You mentioned earlier. Game six. You feel confident that we're about to close this motherfucking thing out. You tell me why you believe that. What do you want to see out of this team? What adjustments need to be had on both sides? And why are you feeling so confident aside from your fandom? But I feel like I've, I am with you with your optimism as well. All right, the reason why I'm so confident that they'll be able to close out in game six is because Bradley Bill hasn't shot well. None of the role players have really played all that well. And, you know, they, they're still in, you know, very much control of this series. So I feel like if they're, if they're able to just go down there put together one good game, get get a couple uh, nice contributions from a few of the role players, I feel like they'll be able to, you know, easily handle Atlanta and be able to advance to the next round. Yeah, I don't want them to come back uh, for Game 7 because then my anxiety attacks will be on high alert, especially when, at that point, the, the Caps and Penguins have already played Game 2 on Saturday. Troy! The game on Friday night, tomorrow night, is at 7.30, and we are on yeah. ESPN fucking you. What yeah, kind of disrespect? I mean, so what is this, like, I didn't even, who's on ESPN 2 and ESPN's the draft? Like, what's happening? Now, now yeah, every, everyone I, should still go to Comcast and listen, because this might be the last game ever of listening to Phil Chenier before exactly. how, how he's been done just dirty. And I might just have a whole podcast after the season's over just ripping the fucking shit out of them. Even though if you go to truthabout.net in my last link uh, roundup, I did make some editorial comments about that decision and link to a really good piece in the Washington City uh, paper about how it was a bad decision by Ted Leonsens. Troy, like, why are we... Is it just like the Hawks always get screwed in, in, on NBA TV? Like, what's happening? Game six is like, dude, we can clinch him out. We're on ESPNU? Like, not even, like, yeah. we know we on the Ocho in game seven? Like, what's happening, dude? I don't think it's just a, a, a Hawks thing. I think, you know, the Wizards didn't really get the respect that they deserve all season long when it comes to, you know, uh, their, their national notoriety. You know, they were moving a lot of their games at the beginning of the season. They were, they were, they were flexing the Wizards out of national TV games. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't just blame it on the Hawks. That should be a, a little bit of a motivation factor for, for John Wall. You know, he, he pays attention to the, those type of things. The disrespect that comes from the fact that they're playing on ESPNU should be inspiring enough for him to want to take care of business so he can get to the next round and get to that bigger stage. Yeah, I agree. My keys for the next game is, once again, very cliche, very lazy analysis. They got to make shots, dude. We talked about what Atlanta shot, how poorly. I mean, the Wizards still only shot 45% from the field and 29% from three. And that is not what they shot all year. They were, you know, top three in field goal percentage in the NBA, and they were top 10 in three point. They did, thank God, make 22 or 27 from the free throw line. And that looks like there was a difference, like I mentioned. I didn't go through the numbers about contested and, you know, from two to four, from four to six, or wide open. But I feel like still the Atlanta just allows, like, Hardaway Jr. plays a lot of bad defense. I think Bazemore plays a little bit better defense, but he, he gets sometimes he gambles too much. Calderon obviously is too old to play amazing defense. I mean, the best defender they probably have is uh, Tabos, but they don't even play him, right? I feel like the shots are there for the Wizards about them making them. And I don't know what yeah, that is. You know. I will give Atlanta credit. They are defensively have been, at, you know, I think they're top five, top ten defensive efficiency in the league. But when I look at it individually in these matchups, especially now that we've played, this is our sixth game against the same opponent. It's a little bit different, and I always told people, and I always mentioned about our own defense, and I said this on previous podcasts, about people being worried about the defense. You know, once you play one team so much that you already know your assignments as a defender. When you're playing and you're traveling and now you're playing another team who does something different, now this team, you know, has Kimball Walker, you know, this team is the Miami Heat with Dragic, right? Or they, or they go to Whiteside more. You know, you got you got to deal with the Greek freak of Milwaukee, and you're traveling, and then, like, you know, shit gets a little messed up here and there, right? But when you're playing one team consistently for two weeks or a week and a half, like, you know your fucking assignments defensively. And I feel like that was going to be beneficial to the Wizards. Their defense hasn't been that poor aside from Game 3, second quarter in Game 4. But the defense was pretty good against the Hawks. I, you know, they did miss a lot of, you know, I think bunnies and open shots. But they were contested. The Wizards were there rotationally. You know, they switched things up, like you said. So defensively, I'm not as worried of a game plan with the Hawks. We know Millsop's going to get off. He's going to get some bullshit fouls. He's going to cause some angry tweets of mine. Schroeder maybe won't play as well as he did before. But it really is about Prince, Hardaway Jr., Bazemore, Calderon to a certain extent, Muscala, those fuckers can't do anything. And we need Bohan or Otto or Markeith, the way he did in game one, to then be the third or fourth, sixth best players. Wall and Beal are going to come to close this motherfucker out. Millsap is going to get his. Millsap might even raise his game. He might even have, you know, his best game of the series. But it's about those guys. I'm not really worried about Dwight Howard. I think Gortat maybe has a little bit more confidence of him. And Dwight Howard had, what, one good quarter, I think, maybe, in this whole series, right? Where he was, like, old Dwight. But I'm not really worried about him, per se. It's just more about, can the Wizards not get in their heads the way they have in these games, play through the fouls, just do the things that they have done all year that have made them successful? Because at the end of the day, Troy, and you'll agree, 
Are the Wizards a better team this year than the Atlanta Hawks? I think they're clearly a better team. Maybe underestimated them a little bit. Uh, maybe I didn't understand good... I mean, I always thought Paul Millsap was good. I didn't think Schroeder was as good as he was. I didn't think that their matchups would be as well. I didn't think that some of our players would fall off. I think Markeith would go to a hole or Porter would act like he's hurt and couldn't you know, defend a rookie. I didn't, I didn't see those things coming. But at the end of the day, Wall and Beal play their elite all-star levels. It's the same fucking thing I said in the last fucking podcast is that we should win this game and we should win game seven, but we're not going to talk about that. Troy, uh, we have gone on way too long. This has been a good one. Anyone that stays for that strip club experience, what was it? What was the other ones? Why did you like that one too? By the way, I know you said that he was a <laughs> five dollar lap dances. There we go. That's what I was asking. You said it was a feeder system, but I didn't get why you actually had an affinity. Your boys, you roll in. Your crew would roll in. Um, it was a certain night. Yeah, yeah, man. Shout out, yeah, shout, shout out to my boys Justin and Modibo. We, we we used to roll roll through uh, Body Tap. We used to roll through Pink Pony. We used to roll through. Uh, What's the name of the other play? I can't remember yeah, the, the third one. I went to that one, too. Oh, ba- Babes ATL. That was the name of the other one. Five, wow. All these places, five, $5 lap dances. So. <laughs> $5 lap dances. I mean, it reminds me when I was uh, you know, in the University of Iowa going to uh, a strip club at happy hour with all the guys on the football team. And uh, good times, man. Good, good effing times. Heaven, I fell in love with her. She was amazing. Her name was Courtney. Yeah, 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 man. You just just (laughs) took me to a nostalgic place, Adam. (laughs) There it is. Troy, Troy, thank you so much. I'm feeling feeling, feeling real. Actually, Troy, before we go. Go ahead, go ahead. Let's let's end on this. What, I didn't actually ask you this part. You interviewed these players in the locker room and your piece you wrote about, I didn't even talk about your piece that you wrote about on Truth About It. You interviewed the players, the coaches. What was your t- takeaways from that experience, uh, from the podium experience, your first podium? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was in there for the. Uh, well, only uh, Wall and Bill spoke at the podium, and then of course the coaches. Did you ask so, a question? Uh, did, was, you, did you get a question? Yeah, in? yeah. Oh yeah, I get, I get questions in every, every, every time I, I'm around the players, and you know, I'm, so, I'm what, talking what, to what, them. What, what, <laughs> no, did you ask a question during the uh, on the practice court? During the yeah 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 yeah. So what was, your, asked, what was your question? Uh, what was your question? I asked I asked I asked Coach Brooks about did they come in there you know telling Otto to you know attack the basket more and he said that you know that that was something that they've been telling him to do you know not just you know stand around on the three point on the perimeter waiting for you know the pass to come to him. I was able to ask John Wall about about his defensive effort on Schroeder, what what he's been seeing from him that that's been different from what they saw from him in the regular season. You know, I, I really wish I could have asked John Wall about that 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 dope. Yes, yes, yeah, man. yeah. Let's talk about. It. Let's finish on that. I saw the the Wizards Snapchat and John Wall come in with some T shirt. I I guess he just waited for the cape, the camo cape, to roll out with the shades. Uh, the Bulls Forever tweet was great. I think someone else tweeted that. He's like, yeah, man, hey, when you win game five, you come out with a camo cape. Any questions about the camo cape? Not at all? Or no, what, no, not any, not any, a, not the, any questions about the cape. <laughs> what, was the, what was the banter? Any media members? And I don't – is is that a thing? Like, I, I'm an old white dude, and I, I'm still around culturally, but, like, do people rocking capes in clubs and shit, dude? Like, I don't know. 
that, that's the uh, that's the first cape that I've seen since my man uh, Killer Killer Cameron pulled the cape out a couple years ago. But I mean, he had like the like the official like the like the Count Dracula like the like a real cape on. Like I've never that that T shirt cape contraption that Wall had on. I mean, I've never seen anything like it before. So you know, he, he's he's breaking boundaries. I will blame two with, with people. With the fashion game, I blame two people: Nick Young, that he was a teammate of that would do some crazy ass shit, and Russell Westbrook for sure. Right? It's like, how do you top Russell Westbrook? <laughs> and Russell Westbrook is going off on a reporter while he's wearing like a bandana, and uh, you know, Stephen Adams, the Australians, all tatted up with a NASA T-shirt. And telling people he can't ask him a question. I was like, Russell, do you know what you're wearing right now, dude? You know, like you're wearing like three bandanas or some weird shit. Like, <laughs> pretty funny. Anyway, uh, we yeah. rambled on. Uh, yes, go see the cape. I got to figure out more about this cape. I don't know what to deal with. I mean, do you remember the one game? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've wrote a lot about John Wall's fashion. And it was the, against the Hawks, actually, the last series when he was hurt. He wore this just crazy outfit. Do you remember that? It was like a red outfit. He was on the bench. Oh, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I asked. Yeah. So, so we're in a scrum and a practice. And everyone's asking his questions. And then finally I was like, uh, someone someone tweeted him and criticized him. Or someone made fun of him. And I was like, hey. Or no, it was J.R. Smith made fun of him, actually. J.R. Smith, of all people. Oh, he, like, made fun oh, of him. I remember this. Yeah, I yes. remember I, this. I, I this will, was... The last playoff series. It was the game that it was after he got hurt, but it was like, it was after he got hurt. Yeah, he had that red thing. He looked like an extra from that thing you do. Yeah, yeah. Like he looked yeah. doo wop John Wall. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> it was between game. Three, I remember that game three and game four because he got hurting. He got hurt at, at home, and so then you know the, the questions all over, and finally I was like, "Yo, man, uh, so what up with that outfit?" Well. You know, what's, did he like went off on this rant about J.R. Smith, which is great. I can just see all the journalists being like, finally, we have a good quote here for John Wall. I was like, yeah, you motherfuckers. Like, I just asked him about John Wall's outfit, which you dumb fuckers should have fucking asked instead of asking him about his, like, his wrist, like, seven times. And then he was like, I thought, yeah. he's like, he's like, I thought, I thought it looked really good. He's like, I thought it looked really good. My stylist got this in. Well, cause then it turns out that J.R. Smith, they had a fashion NBA All-Star contest, and J.R. Smith won it. And so then he was he brought that up, which I didn't even know about. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. oh, he's like, what? He was like, John Wall's like, what, man? You win, like, a contest about fashion at the All-Star game? Now you're the expert or something? <laughs> That's what he said. It was great. And his outfit was pretty ridiculous. To tell you the truth, the cape actually might be more ridiculous, Troy. I, I mean, you were in a, I, I, in, I, I agree in a, with you. I, in a camo I, cape, dude. Like, really? In a camo cape? Like, somehow, like, that has to be some Russell Westbrook stylist. Like, because John Wall will go with what? Like, the biggie. He'll go with the glasses and the shades. You know, Brennan Jennings called him John Wall with the shades. Johnny with the shades. What was the sweatshirt you wore the other day? Your boyfriend can't cover me? That's what you wore the other. You see that one? That yeah. was actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, your, your boyfriend can't check me. Yeah, 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 great. But to go from that to a camo cape, <laughs> I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> anyway, John, uh, maybe you're just trying to outdo Kelly Oubre because he's been wearing some ridiculous shit on the Snapchat of the Wizards machine. I don't know what the hell that guy's doing. The girls love him some Spider Kelly, dude. You know, he's a youngin out there, Troy. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. We rambled so much, uh, too much, but uh, this was great. I think everyone will enjoy it. 
Uh, the game is at 7.30 on ESPN, Ocho, no, ESPNU, Comcast, and <laughs> game six, we're going to close it out. If there happens to be the fallback plan, there will be a game seven in D.C. on Sunday. It, and I guess it depends if the Celtics are able to close this series out or the Bulls make it seven win uh, the next series will be because I'm still confident that your Washington Wizards are better than these Atlanta Hawks. And fuck the rest. Fuck Paul Millsap. Thank you, Troy, so much for coming. Any last words before we go? No, I mean, you pretty much covered everything, man. I, I can't wait to go back and listen to this, our, our, our strip club diatribe, man. I, that should be the leading promo of this, of this podcast. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I still need to go to Empire. It's right next to Camelot on M Street in, in downtown uh, DC. Yeah. DuPont. I've not been yet. I've heard good things. <laughs> I, think, I, need, I need to check it out too, man. But yeah, fuck Camelot though. So. Well, don't go. Well, don't go to uh, the Royal Palace. Bad idea. Never go there. The one out on New York Ave is not bad. That's the one where John Wall threw all the the one dollar bills and Drake got all mad uh, at the stadium. Uh, not not bad. At stadium, yeah, yeah, yeah. But never. The rule about strip clubs, everyone, is always make her earn that dollar and never eat at a strip club, especially a buffet. That's, that's my rules about that's my rules about that's my rules about strip clubs. It will get you far, youngins. Thank you everyone for joining this podcast with me and Troy. And as always, peace, mother effing. All day and day, any day, every damn day. I be thinking about the good old days when I was a whippersnapper. You should try to get a kiss, but now we beat them draws I'm after. I'm just a southern playlistic pimp. I used to slang a fat rock, but now I'm serving him. I never even smoked a crime or crack, but yo, I'm dope But doper than a junkie or a pookie cut to some So each one, teach one I be claiming true to each point at College Park And the things I used to do around ATL Home of the pimps and the money makers Club niggas, Magic City and the Southern players I never said I was a gangster, but I will do ya So hallelujah, hallelujah One for the players at the crib drinking drinks And two is for the sound Hootie who that I made Hootie who In the lack with big gift, you got a like booty hoo. Communication device done when I'm twice. Should I answer the call? Yes, we making them all. We met them off in the mall. Recall players ball. Well, it's players ball too. So I guess I call you later on. And then your whole crew can fall through. Now later on done got here. I take some peek, now let me see what do we got here. Draw, falling down like niggas in they drive-by. I got up in them homes and I told her bye-bye. About two weeks later, she called me with some bullshit. Talking about her period late. Guess what I did? Click. No, it, no, can't it couldn't be me. me. Not me. No. Big cry on my left. A trace on my right. Act like highway. Smoked out our way. Big cry on my left. A trace on my right. Act like highway. Smoked out our way. Well, you know we gettin' blizzard Cause we got that chicken gizzard in the dungeon And we 
dope But some of you niggas can't cope with it So Popey, hip hop to the front, to the back It don't stop from the streets of ATL To the slums of Collet Park So God told my Tito, it's our cast for the 94 era You heard the biggest call, we taking it to another level Go do ya, holla, let me get a smaller of that Martell And you may go to hell Set sail with the nigga from ATL, Southwest that is It's that southern sets in your chest that is One more game for my friend who don't take No bullshit from no bitch you wish that I ain't that sugar daddy nigga who will pay you Silly of you to think that I would, but I will lay you Down like some vocals, you can croak those Head till I'm dead, yes it's not your throat hoes Don't get me wrong, to disrespect is not my shit But if you fall in this category, then you's a bitch